Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. Pastor Chris sends his regards this morning. He is away with his family for Thanksgiving. But he said to send his love to the church family today. So I'm extending his love today. He has left us in charge of the house. Lord, help us. But God, God is so good and so faithful. I'm so excited about our guest speaker today. Um, as many of you know, we have partnered with an organization called World Help. Have you heard us heard talk about World Help? World Help is an amazing, amazing organization. We have partnered with them. We've built with them um, parts of, if you guys remember, Operation, uh, Operation uh, Refuge, where we went beside them in Iraq, and we helped build a church and a school there beside them. And you guys have gotten a chance to see the videos that have come from there. We have sent a trip that I led this year to Africa um, with World Help and had the opportunity to minister, to no exaggeration, thousands of people. When you go to an orphanage that has 2,700 children, these are astronomical numbers, but we saw them with our own eyes. So we have had the opportunity to partner with World Help, and we are looking to partner with them for as long as we can build the kingdom together, amen? Because we believe in their heart, we believe in their vision. I love the fact that World Help does not go in and process their own agenda. They go in and find the people that are already doing the work the locals, the nationals, and they partner with them. We got to work with a woman called Mama Eva, and Mama Eva is running an orphanage there that I can't remember the numbers, Cyrus, but it was some astronomical numbers. She has 70, 70 babies that were rescued from the street. She's mothering them. Several thousand children that she's mothering, a staff of 200 people. And they said, we're not going to go in and tell her how to do it. She's doing it. We're going to go in and get behind her and empower this woman of God to build the kingdom. And that's the vision of World Help, and that's a vision that we at Evangel Church very much believe in, very much partner in. Today, Cyrus, who is here with us, was, was the one that led our trip to Africa, took really good care of the team, blessed us, gave us great ministry opportunities. Um, he is the vice president of the Strategic Global Planning for Africa. It's a big name, big title. He carries it well. You will see all over Africa, the, the pastors and the adults call him Brother Cyrus. The children call him Uncle Cyrus. He is called Uncle Cyrus by thousands of children all over Africa. And he is a strategic planner, but I'll tell you what, he's a minister. He goes in there and he fathers Africa. For Evangel Church, he is a friend for me. He is a brother in the faith who I adore so much and so excited to give him the podium this morning. Would you welcome Brother Cyrus as he preaches this morning? Well, good morning, church. It is indeed a sacred privilege for me to stand before you. Uh, it is my hope that this morning you will walk differently out of the sanctuary. May you have an encounter with the Lord that is really, it will set you on fire. I stand before you as an expensive investment of collective hands because of people who have taken the word of God seriously. And so I'm thrilled and blessed that my wife Julie is here with, uh, with me this morning. Uh, I want to speak to you this morning as if this is the last time you will see me or this is the only time that I'll get to speak from this podium and let the Lord challenge and stretch us. Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of standing before your people. 
Lord, may I be an empty vessel that you will use this morning to speak to and through me to all of us. Let me get out of the way and let you get the honor and glory. For it is in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. The opportunity we have this morning as you come to the end of the four-week that was dedicated specifically for missions emphasis, I appreciate what Pastor Marsha said that it shouldn't just be a time where we are focusing on missions and then after that we just go on business as usual. I would like to draw your attention to a passage in the book of Isaiah chapter 58 verses 10 through 12. Please turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verse 10, and I'll begin the reading. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in a drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden. And like a spring of water, whose waters do not fill, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. Let it be known by others when they come in contact with us, that our commitment before the Lord is, it's not just enough for us to say that our, we have exchanged our eternal address from eternal hell to eternal heaven, but that on a daily basis, as the Lord Jesus Christ taught his disciple this prayer, he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven daily, in all our experiences, good, bad, and ugly. May it be our commitment to say, Lord, it's not enough to discuss the Word of God. It's not enough to debate it. It's not enough to display it on our t-shirts. It's not enough to display it on our Facebook pages and say, if you love Jesus, click like. And then we can't wait to go see how many people click like on it and we feel good about it. Somehow thinking Jesus is in heaven, impressed that somehow I posted a couple of scriptures on Facebook. Do you think that he's calling and angels, give me my iPad. I want to check and see. <laughs> this thing has gone viral. Isn't that nice? <laughs> really? At the end of the day, brothers and sisters, when the Lord Jesus Christ walked the earth, he has given the Great Commission with the intention that when the preaching of the Word of God from the pulpit of this church hits the ears of the people sitting in the pews, you will take it on a pavement of life. Life as we know it, life as messy as it is. So he says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commended you, and lo, I will be with you to the ends of the age. Those were the instructions that the Lord Jesus Christ gave his disciples before he ascended to heaven. But he didn't just preach these things, ladies and gentlemen. He practiced those before them. And one of the things that I would like for us to look at this morning, as we look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we talk about the Great Commission, how we should live our lives, one of the key elements of our faith is that, you know what? Just as I said to you earlier, 
I stand before you as an expensive investment of collective hands. And in a moment, I will be sharing some pictures. But before we do that, I want to lay the biblical foundations of what compassion is all about. And that compassion is costly. It is inconvenient. But that we have to make the commitment before God to say, Lord, not on my watch. Because most of us have the propensity to just want to protect our own family. Praise the Lord. I'm taking care of my kids. They're my first priorities. I get that. They're my ministry. I get that. But at the end of the day, when they are about to close your casket, whose life has been made better because you walked this earth besides your own family? It is an uncomfortable question to ask, but we have to think about it on a routine basis because our lives, ladies and gentlemen, is that we display Jesus Christ. What Dr. Bob Pierce said, let our hearts be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Let us look at an example here out of the book of Mark. It's a long reading. Please pay attention. The things that the Lord has taught me out of that passage arrested me out of my arrogance. To see the costly investment that he has poured into one man. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him, and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the men, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion. For we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out to the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. They were about 2,000. That's a lot of pigs. And the herds ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told it how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from the region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. 
However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends, tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus has done for him and all marveled. As I was preparing for this message and just looking at the, the lessons out of this, I asked myself, I had the privilege at one time serving as the pastor of a church in Struthers, Ohio. If you look at the cost of an outreach, one guy loses his mind because he's been demon-possessed, and the authoritative Jesus, the Son of God Jesus, the Jesus that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, it says this, Therefore God the Father has also highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above all names. At the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. When the demons were in the presence of Jesus Christ, the authoritative Jesus, the Jesus who says in Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me. That Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, he is in the business of this redemptive work. The cost of restoration of one soul, one guy that has been hunted by these demons. He cast out the demons, permitting the demons to go into 2,000 pigs. Let that number land on you. That's a lot of pigs. And it is interesting that the Lord Jesus Christ permitted that these pigs would jump into the, the Sea of Galilee and they drown. I was doing a research and I saw that if in an average farmers who are raising pigs in this country, swine, hogs, when they go to sell those pigs, it's about 180 pounds to 200 pounds. $3.75 per pound. If you multiply that for one pig, that's $675 for one pig. Multiply that by the number of pigs that Jesus Christ permitted that all the demons cast it out of go into those pigs. It's about $1.2 million. One person, ladies and gentlemen, the people of the village got nervous. Jesus was a costly guest to have around. One guy loses his mind, and we lose 2,000 pigs. It almost wrecked the whole economy. Can you imagine telling the church outreach department that we are about to put $1.2 million into one person? Oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. That's not good storage. We can't do that. I mean, that's a lot of money. I mean, that's kingdom money. What is Jesus telling us about this? The surpassing value of one human being. He is willing to watch 2,000 pigs drown so that this man's life is restored. And can you imagine what the people are looking at this guy? He used to be in chains. Try to chain your dog. They'll arrest you for animal abuse. You, you don't chain up your child. I mean, he, the condition was so bad. I remember last year seeing a video of a man that the mother posted the video describing the nightmare that they were going through when he was addicted to drugs. They said that it was very expensive. Every phone call that came in the house, you're nervous, you don't know if that phone call is just to tell you that that person is dead. 
often they describe it as if there are demons talking to them that they got to go get this thing to get high. It's not a pleasant experience watching your loved one go through something like that. But to Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, he was willing to put his reputation on the line because when he showed up in that village, one person mattered to him. One soul, ladies and gentlemen, the word of God says that when one person gets saved, heaven celebrates. One soul. What am I saying? Jesus didn't just preach about compassion. He demonstrated what compassion looks like. As he was about to leave, the man who had been demon-possessed felt that I don't belong here with my family members. Look at the way they treated me. They couldn't do anything for me. I used to live in cemeteries, cutting myself, wailing and crying. I want to go with Jesus because when he showed up, I now have my right mind. But the beauty of it is, this man can now think about just starting a family. Imagine him going to his mom and dad's, Mom, look at the, look at the scars. Those of you who have children who used to cut themselves, you know how painful it is to watch those scars. But this man knew that Jesus has done a lot for him. He wanted to go with Jesus. But the Lord Jesus Christ did not permit him to go with him. I want to show you what Jesus tells him. Verse 19, Jesus did not permit him but said to him, Go home to your friends and family. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how God has had compassion on you. Implicit in this instruction is the cost of 2,000 pigs from that village drowned for this man. And he said, yes. He goes home. Look at verse 20, and that's the part that excites me, and it is this. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus has done for him. And all marveled. He didn't just tell his family and friends in his hometown. He made the decision, ladies and gentlemen, to go into Decapolis, which means 10 additional cities. Because he realized that his restoration, the cost of his health, is such an expensive investment. He wants to live every day worthy of the very thing that God has done for him. To tell his families and to go to others' town. Imagine him showing up so excited at a town. People are under a tree. He said, guys, I just want to tell you something. Who are you? Introduces himself. I'm the man from that town over there. I recognize you. You used to be that crazy guy over there. I mean, you used to come and people just ran. I mean, you were so violent. He says, I know. That's why I want to talk to you. Look at my life before Jesus. And when Jesus Christ has set up housekeeping, look at what he has done for me. Do you see the correlation between the compassion that was displayed for this man and now his willingness to evangelize not only his own family, but to go to 10 additional cities, making what Jesus has said in book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We have to ask ourselves this question. 
Who are we kidding when we make this sound like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's not, I wouldn't put that much money into one person. Do you realize the cost of your salvation, brothers and sisters? Jesus Christ, according to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, has left the splendor of heaven, come down to earth. He didn't have angels delivering a sack of lunch for him. He walked the dusty streets of Jerusalem. He ate at Peter's mother-in-law's house. This is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. The scandal of the cross is this. While I was in Africa, I wanted to fight for justice. I studied law. I wanted to be the chief justice of our Supreme Court so that before my name, it's Chief Justice Cyrus, that at the end of my life, I would die being the guy from the bench. I was able to change society with the law. But God has taught me something that is much, much more powerful. It is this. He is not incapable of changing lives. But when he sets up housekeeping in somebody's heart, conduct begins to change to reflect the lordship of Jesus Christ. That has to be said of us. Worship is not just because you and I came here and we sang in this church here, and then we walk out of here living like heathens. Do people see the presence of God in us? Don't let that smile fool you. I thank God for the blessing of him giving me a wife that she and I have been married for 26 years. Had it, not, had it not been for the word of God, for her forgiving me and being there to pray for me, I would not be here before you saying these things because of the word of God. We owe it to those who are perishing, ladies and gentlemen, to describe what God has done for us. Unless we're not saved, then therefore we're basically just playing church. Come to church on Sunday and then go home and live like heathens. If others see in us, the residency and the presence and footprint of Jesus Christ, and we display it in our conduct, good, bad, and ugly circumstances, it will be attractive. So when this man was telling people in 10 cities, it says that they marveled. He let them see what God has done for him. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus talks about the fact that you and I are the salt but then you drop down to 5.16. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. Matthew 25.35 through 40. We have all these pictures here behind me. I was hungry. You fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me water. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick. Prisoner. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 25 verses 40. He says, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these among you, you have done it unto me. So you and I, we claim to want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It begins with recognizing that the world in which you and I are called to share the gospel, not just across the street, but across the sea, is messy and that life is unpredictable. Oh, we read the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And most people, when they hear that, say, oh, today the preacher was telling us to go do more good. You see, that man who left Jerusalem on his way to Jericho, just like you and I, he woke up that morning, he wasn't planning on falling in the hands of thieves. Thieves do not discriminate. They will steal from their grandmothers. 
They'll steal from their uncles. They'll steal from their employers. They'll steal from a white person. They'll steal from a black person. They'll steal. Have you read anything about identity theft? Do you think they sift through and say, I don't think I can touch this one. I can go here. Every 15 seconds in these United States, there's a robbery. Something is stolen. It can happen to any one of us. So that man who left Jerusalem that morning on his way to Jericho fell in the hands of thieves. Those thieves, they didn't care if he was a white or a black person. They would steal from him. Three people saw this man who fell in the hands of thieves. First one was a priest, a man of God. He saw it because of religious restrictions and whatever passed by. The second person, a Levite, this is the assistant to the pastor, saw it and said, boy, isn't that a shame? Go on. It was the Samaritan. John 4, 9, the Samaritan woman at the well told Jesus, we do not have any dealings with Jews because of, because of prejudice. But it was a Samaritan, ladies and gentlemen, who saw this man on the road. And you know what he did? Compassion, as Jesus described it in that story, he stopped took care of this man, put him on a donkey, took him to a hotel, spent the night, spent the money to pay for it. On his way out, he gives instruction to the hotel manager and said, here's the money to pay for what we have already used, but should you run into additional expenses, charge it to my account. He does not tell the hotel manager, and said, by the way, make sure you take his name down. When he gets better, I want his family to reimburse me. We sound like we want to, well, we want to teach them responsibility, you know. Really? Jesus taught that lesson, and you know when that man was on his way out, what do you think that man was going to tell his family? Dad, what happened? We didn't hear from you yesterday. Oh, Lord, you should, what happened? I fell in the hands of thieves. Beat up. The Samaritan understands something that all of us need to keep in mind when it comes to this issue of compassion. He travels that road between Jerusalem and Jericho, just like that guy from Jerusalem. It could be any one of us. When he saw him, he said, wait a minute, that could have been me. And if I'd fallen in the hands of thieves, they would have done the same thing to me. He didn't have a cell phone to call his wife and say, look, I'm going to run late for dinner tonight. I just want to make sure that this guy was okay. That's somebody's son. That's somebody's father. Have you ever thought about that? We're not always going to be on the horse like everybody is thinking. You would be the one that is on the receiving end, and you pray to God that somebody will intervene. That's why the teaching of the gospel is so that we will actually put ourselves in the shoes of the very people that Jesus is asking us to demonstrate the love of God in action. You see, we think of it as, well, you know, why are they always expecting me? But to the man who fell in the hands of thieves, I thank God that this man showed up. By the way, he was a Samaritan. We don't even get along, but he took care of me. I thank God for him. This is what is at stake. Our preaching of the gospel is not just so much that we're discussing these things, hanging the cross on our neck, telling others this is what it is. Let our church be known. We will spend lavishly over a soul, just like Jesus Christ has done. Because he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? It doesn't make sense for us to say, well, Jesus is my Lord. Praise God. But then the very thing that he tells us to do, we have reservation. It's almost as if we're going over this buffet. Well, I don't agree with this one, so I'm not going to do it. Really? It takes me to the second point in this part of my message. 
I want to show you some photos that is going to include my testimony. I wanted us to let the passage of God here in Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20 speak to us. Jesus is willing to invest almost $1.2 million over one soul so that that one person, he says, God has done too much for me. I am not going to live as if, well, I'm just a lucky one. I, I just got a chance. Let's look at some photos. Next one, please. I am originally from the Central African Republic, located in the heart of Africa. I'm the oldest of 12 children. Two of my relatives died, but I am the oldest. Now I have six brothers and three sisters. Both of my parents are still living there in Central African Republic. They're the second generation of people who were saved under the ministry of missionaries that have gone into my country. My dad saw, taught us something that I will never forget. He says, Cyrus, people are going to ask you, what are you going to do with your education when you finish school? He said, as important as it is for you to answer that question, the second side of that equation is fundamentally important. It is this. What has your education done to you? What kind of a person have you become as a result of the formal training that you've received? Are you cocky? Are you arrogant? Do you see yourself better than anybody else? My dad said, not on my watch. Because I know how it felt like not to have money to my name and others who have a few dollars to their name see themselves as better than we are, treating, treating us as dirt. He didn't want that to be said of us. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, challenged us. And I thank God for that. My mother, Eugenie, she said, Cyrus, if you abuse any woman, you've abused me personally. If you violate any woman, you've done that personally to me. I am a mother, I am a woman, and I'm somebody's daughter. And the reason she wanted to challenge us at this is because she was raising seven sons and three daughters. She did not want any of her sons to see themselves as God's gift to women. Because she said, I wouldn't like it if they'd done it to my own daughters. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. It doesn't matter the country of their origin. No matter their age. I am a mother, I'm a woman, and I'm somebody's daughter. I thank God for the spiritual investment that my mothers have done because of the teachings of the gospel that was preached in my country for them to get saved. Those are the challenges that we have, ladies and gentlemen. It's not enough for us to just talk about our faith. Out of the couches of our rooms, we discuss it, and then we're drinking our coffees and whatever, and we think that we've done Bible studies, praise the Lord. And what does that look like? The next picture is this. Many people have asked me this question before. They say, Cyrus, you know, you look at those kids jumping over these open sewages in Africa. Do they ever dream of becoming anything? So let me tell you my story. At the age of eight, I saw Air France fly over our capital city. Central African Republic is in the news because the Pope just landed there. Not, I think it was either yesterday or this morning. The very airport that he landed in, I was looking at this Boeing 777 going to land. And I told one of my friends, one day I'm going to be on that plane. He says, Cyrus, look at us. We don't even have shoes to our name. It's only people who have money that can afford the airplane. Next picture. In 1994, the Lord has opened the door for me to come to the United States. I flew from Bangui to Paris, and on the second flight from Paris to Dallas, Washington, four hours from you here, after we were fed by the flight attendants that gave us food and all of that, they were pushing a cart to come and collect the cups and the plates. I told the flight attendant, I said, ma'am, would you please do me a favor? I just, would you please give me a trash bag? I want to keep the cups and the plates and spoons. She said, this is garbage. I said, I know. <laughs> yeah. 
I told her the story. I said, I was eight years old when the same Boeing 777 flew over our capital city by Air France. This is a big deal to me. I am in this airplane. I didn't care what that guy sitting next to me was thinking. <laughs> I put the cups and the plates in the bag, and I put it in the overhead. In year 2000, I flew back to visit my family. As I was sitting down to eat dinner with my family after we were done, I went in the house and I brought those cups and plates and spoons, set it on the table. My friend was there. I said, do you remember this? He said, Sarish, I haven't forgotten that. I said, yeah, I will never forget that because I know what God has done in my life. I would not have been able to come to the United States had it not been for my mother-in-law who spent the money to pay for me to come and attend school here in the United States. Last count, I have flown to Africa 32 times in the last seven years. So I'm on the plane a lot. I enjoy it. But you know what? At times, you know, you miss your family. Yes, God does answer the dreams of these children that you see in Africa. Would you like to be the hands and feet of Jesus to make that happen? This lady that you're looking at her picture right now on the screen, when I came to the United States, God has used collective hands of believers, different people. Marty Stockdale, I couldn't afford having an apartment as a foreign student. We lived in Canton. We lived in Youngstown. And Canton, where the university I attended was located, it was almost an hour away. Marty has hosted me. Stay at her house for four years, ladies and gentlemen. She did not charge me a penny. And at graduation, she said something that I'll never forget. I said, Marty, thank you for all you've done. I will never be able to repay you for that. You know what she said? She said, Cyrus, pay it forward. You and I are sitting here able to invest into somebody else's life that they will see the hands of God and realize, look, Lord, look at all the investment that you put in my life. I want to live worthy of that investment. The next picture is this. There's a small church in the city of Struthers, 3.7 square miles, 13,000 people, near the border with Pennsylvania, 45 minutes from Pittsburgh. That little church has taught the word of God challenged my mother-in-law, May Allen, who became a missionary, and she was only 25 years old at the time, went to Africa. Most people, well, I won't want to go to Africa. I want to get eaten by mosquitoes and tsetse flies in war. But she took the gospel of Jesus Christ seriously. The passage that she bore was John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In French, it is Jean chapitre 3, verset 16, car Dieu a tant aimé le monde qu'il a donné son Fils unique afin que quiconque croit en lui ne périsse point, mais qu'il ait la vie éternelle. In my native language, Sango, it is Tetin Zapa Andoye Sesotongaso, le mumme lingetilu ngengirako, si je sois manabena loa lingui kui pepe, melu ekena finitilakolakwe. Ladies and gentlemen, we have surrounded ourselves in this sanctuary with these flags. May it be a symbolic reminder to us that souls are dependent on this, that we have been given a mandate by Jesus Christ Himself. So that John 3.16 that I just recited for you is not to brag about my language fluency, but it is to let you see lives are dependent on the gospel message that we hold in our hands. It's not just for our family, and then we go home, praise the Lord, I'd, I just want to arrive safely at death. May Allen took that message seriously. In that picture you're looking at, she was 52 years old. An African lady gave birth and died. And the baby that you see there, that's my wife, Julie, being held by May Allen. 
Neallen took care of that baby because they didn't have a grocery store to have baby formula to nurse this baby. May had bought some powdered milk and she took care of Julie. Look at the love that she has. May I introduce to you my wife, Julie, in whom I'm well pleased. That's the gospel being put into action. Because James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their distress. That is what it looks like. The faithfulness of May Allen to the teachings of the gospel has produced a wife for me, and I thank God for the commitment. This is somebody that didn't like black people before. But when she got saved, the Lord all really arrested her out of arrogance. And she is now, of all places, have gone to Africa where you have more black people on the, on the face of the earth. One billion people live in Africa, ladies and gentlemen. But this is what God will do to you when you give your life to him. He begins to take away the arrogance, take away those things. But that decision that she made to take care of that daughter has produced a wife for me. Earthly blessing. We'll go to the next picture. May Allen came back to the United States, and she had a stroke one time. I remember listening to this, and I was really, I, I learned something about parenting that I never understood before, and it is this. The doctor said, May, if you become incapacitated, who has the power of attorney? She pointed at the black daughter that she raised several years ago in the middle of the African continent. I thought, wow, you train up a child in the way that he or she should go. When he grows old, he will not depart from it. It now means something to me that you train up a child in a way that he or she should go. You pray to God that when you grow old, they will not depart from it because you may find yourself as the very recipient of the very thing that you taught them. We tend to only think of things in terms of money. Well, that's too much money. May Allen is now benefiting, brothers and sisters, because of this investment that she's put into this orphan in the middle of the African continent. When she had that stroke, our daughter is now the one helping and returning the very favor that she did for her mother years before. Let's go to the next picture. I remember sitting in that room when May Allen was asked about that decision by the doctor. Julie, my wife, said, that's my mother. I will not put her in a nursing home. I will do everything in my power. I would have been dead if she had not done what she did. Taking care of a kid is not a 30-day money back. Oh, we talk about dedication here, ladies and gentlemen. This is serious business. You're not taking care of a kid, and then, of course, we talk about unconditional love until a condition surfaces. Well, I don't want anything to do with that. That's just too much. May Allen has demonstrated unconditional love in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and she is the beneficiary of that. These are the things that we need to see in the practice of our faith, irrespective of the color of the skin, the country of origin. Let's go to the next picture. God has blessed us with the opportunity, ladies and gentlemen, in the six years of May Allen's life. Julie was the one that was helping her as she was recovering from that physical therapy of that, uh, of that stroke. I told Julie we must finish well. It is emotionally taxing, but we have to do it. We go to the next one. So when May Allen passed away, September 2013, we missed a mother. There's something surreal about being in a room and just sitting there. Julie was on the other side of the bed, and I was on the other side. She was comforting her mom, holding her hands, and she passed away in her arms. What a privilege. But before she died, she said to Julie, thank you. Thank you for being the daughter that has loved me. James 1.25 says, 
he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but doers of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. May Allen has been blessed because the word of God that she demonstrated to us. We who did not belong in her immediate circle, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. These are the things that are at stake. And you and I, we owe it to those that are unsaved to see Jesus Christ in skin in us. It's not just enough for us to talk about it. Malin, when they were about to lower her casket in the ground, I said, Mom, thank you. Thank you. And so I will speak unapologetically. I'll speak passionately about the faith of Jesus Christ that got hold of your heart to go in the middle of the African continent, serve for 46 years so that I can stand here before God's people. I went to Malone for the four years of my studies at Malone. I do not owe a penny to that academic institution because May Allen has contacted her supporters and said, my son-in-law is going to school. We want to make sure that he gets that education. There was no guarantee that I was going to live for Christ with that investment. Those are the things that at times the church need to be reminded of. What is at stake? And so I thank God for the demonstration of the word of God in my life. God has blessed Julian us with three children. The oldest, Becky, our son, middle child, Michael, and our youngest daughter, Irene. Next picture. September 2nd, my life was radically changed. I came back from work from World Help. Irene came and knocked on the door of the car. I said, Dad, I want to go swim at my friend's house. I said, Irene, don't stay more than an hour because my wife had gone with a group from the church doing door-to-door -door evangelism. Moments later, somebody came and was banging at the door of our house, asked me, are you Irene's dad? I said, yeah, what happened? They were afraid to tell me what had happened. Irene essentially drowned in that swimming pool accident. Now, had it not been for the word of God, I would have lost my mind. None of us want to outlive our children. But should, God forbid, something like that happens to you, how should you deal with that? Life is messy, ladies and gentlemen. Hebrews 9.27 said, it is appointed unto men once to die. Every single one of you sitting in this pew this morning, you have an expiration date, just like this bottle of water. It's not like you're going to get a letter telling you, hey, since you're a medical doctor, a couple of weeks enough for you to button up things here. None of us get a warning like that. 13,000 Americans are killed on our highways due to automobile accident caused by drunk drivers. It could be any one of us. So every morning, you put a key in that ignition, it could be the last. Julie and I were going to the Tangier Island just 10 days ago. We were at the first entrance of the, 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 the tunnel going over to that Tangier Island, sitting in a car. Julie, my grandson in the back, somebody was driving at a speed of 55 miles an hour at the entrance of that of that tunnel and just rear-ended us. We did not see this coming from anywhere. I was scheduled to preach for a six-day revival. I was going to do the will of God. And then somebody rear-ended me. I could have been killed in that car just like that. I am saying we tend to have the impression that we have control over things. Let our social status not fool us. Every single one of us, it is but by the grace of God we are walking. We go places and we come home. And if we play games with our faith, how I managed the tragedy of the death of that kid was going to have collateral damage. That was the last baby Julie had. She could not have another child biologically. So for her to look at now the lifeless body of her child, 10 years old, about to be put in that ground, you know that it's only by the grace of God, the word of God. Where did I go to get the strength? Job is a godly man. 
He's not a crook. One day he was minding his own business. His ten children, seven sons and three daughters, they go over to their brother's house. All of them were killed just like that. But Job said something that I will never forget that I want all of you who have already experienced the death of a loved one. Job has pronounced these words. The Lord give, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you realize that the moment he was saying these words, he was about to dig ten fresh graves to bury seven sons and three daughters. That's when he made those words. Oh, we sing it in songs. He gives and takes away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you realize that the lyrics of that song came from the mouth of a father, a godly man, one day was minding his own business, and his life was turned upside down. But he made a choice that taught me a lot about dealing with pain and tragedy and loss. He said, the Lord gives, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. These children do not belong to us. God has blessed us with the privilege to give us these kids. But may we not put them on a pedestal, ladies and gentlemen. Well, my children are my everything. God forbid he does something to those kids. Oh, I want nothing to do with him. If I had lost my mind, I end up in a nut house. Julie has lost a husband over the tragedy of the death of the child. My three children... Becky and Michael are now looking to me, Dad, how do you deal with life? This is a messy circumstance. None of us is immune from any of these things. My son is watching how I will handle the death of my daughter because he is living in a world that something can happen and may it be a point of reference. Why should you wait 10 years bogged down with tears. Oh, we can't celebrate Thanksgiving. We can't celebrate Christmas. It is too difficult. Let me tell you something. Jesus has been victorious over death. And if that kid has given his life to Christ, it is a blessing. I wanted to send on this because I realized you and I are dealing with the period of those celebrations. You just celebrated Thanksgiving. You're about to go into Christmas. What would I tell you the lessons that I learned when I was the father that gave permission to her? I love these kids. I wanted to protect them. And if you see in our previous picture, uh, please go back to that, the, 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 the one before that. I wanted them to be closer to me. If there's anything I can do for those kids, I do not want anything to happen to them. But it was on my watch, ladies and gentlemen, when she asked permission of me as a dad. Imagine the guilt. Imagine the paralysis of analysis. Now they ask me permission, my son wanting to go play with his friends. I just get nervous. I said yes to one and she turned up dead. These are the reality of life that we have to ask ourselves these uncomfortable questions. Say, so, Lord, we need you to give us the strength to deal with life as messy as it is because others are looking at how you're managing tragedy. It's going to have collateral damage. They're going to say, well, they said that they believe in Jesus Christ until something happens to them. That's exactly what the enemy wanted to see happen in your life. Job chapter 1 verse 11, Satan has an interesting conversation with God. Here's what he says to God. Stretch out your hand, take away everything that he owns, and surely he will curse you to your face. Is Satan telling the truth about us? That should God forbid something happen to our kids, we'll curse God to his face? How dare I? The audacious behavior to say, God, you gave those kids to me as a gift, and now I'm demanding an accounting from you? 
Let's look at the next picture. Oh, good. I was on my way to Dallas, Texas for a speaking engagement. I got to Charlottesville Airport, uh, Charlotte Airport. Before I, I boarded my second flight, I saw the suburban sitting there, and I took a picture of that. We'll go to the next picture, and I'll show you. It had all these bullet holes on it. It was an advertisement for an armored vehicle. That's what they were doing. But the inscription on the hood of that car caught my attention. It says that 421 shots were fired at this vehicle. Zero penetration. It reminded me of the passage at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when the Lord Jesus Christ was about to close that message. It says this, Therefore, whoever listens to these teachings of mine and obeys them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house. 421 shots were fired at this vehicle. Zero penetration. Nothing happened to the person that is inside. May your faith in Jesus Christ be so strong that this old hymn becomes a reality in your life. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. But then he goes on to say, everyone who does not listen to these teachings of mine is likened to a fool who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, and it fell. Both the righteous person, life happened to them. The fool, life happened to them. The outcome is, have you trusted Jesus Christ with everything? Oh, it's easy to say, I believe in Jesus Christ with everything until your goose is cooked. Now, what does that look like? So I've made my decision. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. I realize that the very breath that I'm breathing has been given to me by God. And so when you and I are looking at the missions emphasis week, it is just an opportunity for the church to remind us what is at stake. Had it not been for the word of God, I would have lost my mind. People who believe that faith is just for old folks because they're one foot in the grave. Or it's for poor people because after all, they're poor. They need something to hang on. I want to close with this. One of the lessons that Julie and I have learned painfully from this experience is this. These children do not belong to us. They belong to God. It is my prayer that you do not put those children on a pedestal. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But should God forbid something like that happens to you, I want to see us like soldiers. We have to survive these things because your children are watching how you're going to manage that because you don't know what will happen to them down the road. I'm not wishing that, but I know that life is messy. Let's go to a couple more pictures to show you what God has done in our lives because of that. We decided to establish an orphanage in Central African Republic in memory of Irene. The next picture, these children born in the village where I was, I, I was born. Julie and I got married there. We brought them to live in that home. We'll go to the next one. When you are an orphan in Africa, you're just as good as dead. So when children find out that their parents are dead, it is scary for them. Until Christ followers show up. We'll go to the next. To provide a water well, your church has done that through us. The average family in sub-Saharan Africa uses one gallon of water per day. That's like one flush of a toilet out of a bathroom here, for heaven's sake. And so when you have made the decision to give to World Health $15,000 for us to drill a deep well, you're telling children, say, you know what? Not on our watch. Will you drink polluted water? We'll go to the next one. 
the very children that came in rags, they're now living in a home that is taking good care of them based on the word of God. And then the second picture that you're seeing there, that's what these kids looks like. This is what is at stake. I have taken the liberty to spend extra minutes to talk about these things because I recognize, I see Facebook posting, people that are wailing of, of grief and all of that. If I can stand here before you and God giving me the strength and Julie and I to go on and continue to minister to others, my son needs me. If I'm already in a nut house, he doesn't have a father because he's so grief stricken, we can't even talk to the guy. 90% of marriages will end up in divorce, including that of Christians. Why should that be the case? Do we not trust God to be in charge of everything? These are the things that I am submitting to you prayerfully, brothers and sisters. I owe it to the Lord. And the other picture, as you see from Uganda, we'll go to the next one, please. This is serious games. They're spending millions of dollars into this to take over. And we'll go to the next one, the, 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 the influence of Muslims. One of the things that is troubling is I took this team here from your church to that malnutrition center at the Mulago Hospital. We'll go to the next one so that we'll have that. Pastor Dale Sutherland is from McLean Bible Church in Northern Virginia. He asked me, he says, what becomes of these orphans? He's just scavenging trash can. I said, when they're arrested, that's what happens to them. I was taking that picture on my way out, and I took a picture of this boy. I said, God, I want this picture to haunt me. This is what happened when we don't show up. They become vulnerable and they're snatched and now they're given weapons and start to kill the very Christian parents that have been taking care of them. Next one. That's why you sent the team to go serve under the national ministries as Pastor Marshall was telling you. We have to be willing to spend what God asked for us, including our lives. I wouldn't be standing here before you if May Allen did not do what she did for me. I owe it to the Lord for using her faithfulness, whose life has been impacted. One of my prayers is, wouldn't that be nice for me to find somebody and pay for their mortgage and give them the key and say, it's all paid for, not in part, but a whole, because God has done too much for me. That's my prayer. Whose life is going to be changed, even if I don't get a tax receipt for that? I want them to be blessed and let them see the hands of God. Thank you for your support of our ministry. Thank you for your friendship to us. It is our way of telling you thank you for the work that God is doing, not just overseas, because it's easy to drill the water well, but some of you are sitting in a marriage that is about to break, but why do we not trust God? Some of you, the kids have gone crazy. My kids have gone crazy too. And I thank God for the word of God, praying that they will come home. That's what is at stake. Let me pray for you. And let the word of God speak and let me get out of the way and let God give you what you need to go out there in life and deal with life, messy as it is. Precious Heavenly Father, you did not send us home to just go sit in the couch of our homes so we can do Bible studies and become experts in the word of God. Lives are dependent on us. Our families are dependent on us. I thank you for the privilege I'm given to share here this morning. Father, let me get out of the way. Somebody has needed this message today so they can go back and trust you and just deal with life again with your enabling. That's what we want, Father. Unreservedly abandoned to you. And thank you for the ministry of Evangel Church. We want you to be the one to get the honor and glory. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you.
Amen. Why don't you stay standing? You can't hear a message like that and not have a response. Amen. You have to respond. We have to respond. We want to be doers of the word, not hearers simply of the word. And there's something that I always share in missions training when I do trainings, and it's this understanding that we're not on mission for a week or for a month. We're not just going to Guadalajara for seven days, having a great time, God using. We are on mission for life. Every day of our life, every day we are on mission to see the kingdom come to earth. To see people change and transformed. And our job is to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. I want to tell you something. I served beside Cyrus in Africa. This is a man that lives what he says. He didn't just come here and share a great story. This is what he does. But Cyrus is not unique in the sense that there's just a gifting on him. There's a gifting on all of us. To be the hands and feet of Jesus everywhere that we go. I love that illustration about the bulletproof car. 421 shots. Nothing penetrated. And you know, child of God, the Lord walks with you. He is faithful. And the Bible is clear that no weapon that's formed against us will ever prosper. No weapon that's formed against the body of Christ will ever prosper. And so I want to close this a little differently today. I want you to stretch across this church. I want you to grab hands with your brother and sister across this platform today, across the balcony, all over. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's it. And we as a church are going to be committed to be on mission for life. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You don't know what's going on in that person's life today. Don't let their smile fool you. You have no idea what their struggle is today. But I do know something. He is able. He is willing. He is present to do a work today. So we're going to pray as family today. Is that all right? And so, Father, we give you praise today, Lord God. We thank you for who you are, Lord God. We thank you, God, that you are in the midst of your people today, Lord God. And, Father, as we hold hands today as one heart, one life, we ask you today, Lord God, to touch us in such a deep and lasting way. May the words that were spoken by our brother today penetrate our heart and our mind today, Lord God. May it not be acceptable, Lord God, that on our watch, people fall to the side. When we have the ability, when we have the capability, Lord God, to step forward, God. Father, may you fill us with your compassion today, Lord God, to see the broken, to see the hurting, to see the lost. And to reach out no matter what the cost. Father, you spared no expense in redeeming us, Lord God. There was no price that was too high, Lord God. And Father, today we are your servants, God. We lay our lives down and say, Lord, use us for your glory, Lord God. Use us for your purposes, Lord God. Father, there are those in this room, Lord God, that are grieving, that are broken, Lord God, themselves. Would you stretch out your hand today as we pray as one heart and one mind? Would you touch them deeply today, Lord God? May this message bring encouragement to them, Lord God, that they can face anything as long as you walk with them. May the word of God not just be something nice that we have in our home as a reference. May it be the blueprint of our life, Lord God. May it be the way we pray, the way we live, the way we eat, the way we fellowship, Lord God. 
the way we walk out everything that we do may be our guide. Lord, may you truly be the Lord of everything in our life. May there be no place that you're not welcome, God. And Father, may truly, truly, God, our lives be an extension of your compassion to this world, Lord God. May we truly be Jesus with skin on, Lord God. May we truly, Lord God, be able to walk and be a lighthouse, Lord Jesus, understanding that it is costly, that it is expensive, Lord God, but, Father, that it is worth it. You are able to take ashes and produce beauty from them, Lord God. That's what you do, God. And, Father, every person in this room is a symbol of ashes that you've made into beauty, Lord God. May we not forget, Lord God, that we too were once lost, Lord God. And somebody, something extended their hand to us, Lord God. And we stand here today as also costly investments, Lord God. And may we not be afraid to pay it forward, Lord God. To invest, Lord God. To pour, to touch, Lord God. May it not be too difficult for us, Lord God. But may it be, Lord God, your hand extended in our life, Lord God. We give you praise today, Lord God. We give you praise, Jesus. We bless you, God. We bless you. Church, would you just open up your mouth for a minute and just bless the Lord for what he's done in your life, telling him that you are willing today, hallelujah, to pay it forward, to be someone that's willing to invest as well. We give you praise, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're so grateful, God. We give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. Hallelujah. Great and mighty are you, Jesus. You are worthy today, God. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Here we are, Lord. Here we are, fit for your use today, Lord God, willing to be used, Lord God, not to feel good about ourselves, Lord God, or to make our name known, Lord God. Father, we don't care if anybody remembers the name of Evangel Church, Lord God. We want them to remember the name of Jesus this morning, God. We're not interested in our names being famous, Lord God. We're interested in the name of Jesus being lifted high, Lord God. And so, Father, our prayer today, Lord God, is that you would anoint us, Lord, to go and do your work, Lord God. But, Father, may it come from a lifestyle that is holy and righteous. Father, may we produce who we are, Lord God, who you've made us, Lord God. May we be true disciples, Lord God, and in turn help make true disciples, Lord God. We give you all things today, Lord God. We thank you for Brother Cyrus and for Julie, Lord God. We thank you for the work that you've used them for. Continue to bless them. Continue to fill them with grace, Lord God. Continue to lead them, Lord God. Anoint them, we pray. And now, Father, walk with us as we go from this place today, Lord God. May your power flow through us. And may people look at us and see you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.